Welcome to Blooming Out on Community Radio, WFHB. Blooming Out is a forum by and for the LGBTQ plus community. Each week we explore the issues, events pertaining to the LGBT community in Indiana, the U.S., and internationally. We speak with guests about human rights, coming out, the legality of being gay, and much more. Blooming Out is a multiple award-winning program here on Community Radio, WFHB. Thanks for listening to Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Frankie Preslav. I'm Kevin Mosanzade. I'm Melanie Davis. And I'm Alex Ashkin. Well, let's see. Uh, we have Jeffrey R. Roth, Vice President and Chief Development Officer for the Damien Center, and Jeff will be discussing um, the history of HIV and AIDS um, around uh, 5.15 tonight, or 6.15 tonight. Sorry, guys. Um, then at the bottom of the hour, we have Kim Nashes, Nathes. You can say it. Naseth. There we go. Uh, I, I told her I was going <laughs> to totally rip that one around. Times. I know. I, I tried every way. You know what I mean. Um, and she's the house manager with the Community Health IU Bloomington Hospital. But first, um, we're going to kind of talk about uh, how our week is going. And we'll start with Alex. We haven't had... Well, Alex, you were here with us. Yeah, I was here last week. Alex <laughs> is in a bad mood, so we've got to be nice to him. I'm, I'm not as in such a bad mood. It's just politics gets me down sometimes yeah, he came in all roaring and <laughs> yeah <angry>. yeah <laughs> I, i'm i'm ready to fight with He's people ready. today <laughs> so we're ready we got nice and combative <laughs> uh, other than that do you like the cold weather oh i love it i mean i grew up in the northeast i i i was born in a little town called rochester new york right. uh about an, an hour igloo right here yeah, yeah yeah about an hour from ontario so like to me this is like my ideal weather right <laughs> like I'm like, oh boy, sweater weather. <laughs> oh are. joy. There's a cute meme, sweater weather um, meme that just kind of goes on about all that. So <laughs> we'll have mm. to play that one day. And you, Melanie, how are you doing? Uh, well, let's discuss that after a bit. Uh, this has been a bad week for yeah. uh, folks in, in the community. So Yeah, it's uh, ready to. You got your boxing gloves on too. I, or you're going bare fisted, I'm sure. You're just not. I, I think we're at trench warfare yeah, now. So. Yeah, but. getting ugly. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of craziness going on. Politics as well. And Kevin, what happy stuff do you have to talk about? <laughs> I'm doing good. There we go. I'm we got some cheer and happiness. Yeah, school, more school. Yeah. stressful but getting it done getting it done getting yeah. educated and stuff are you working on the campaign you work with Liz a little bit um, I been? am not working with her anymore I have oh, too much going too on too much going on school and stuff so. yeah, but I might be going up to see our, our old co-host Grant this weekend oh yeah, yeah. or down well, or is he up in Chicago he's, he'll be in Chicago yeah, so he's all I gotta decide place. last minute if I wanna go up go go mm-hmm. report back yeah have yes. fun that's <laughs> cool and with me Thanks for asking, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and how are you, Frankie? Yeah, I'm Frankie. just doing awesome. No, um, I voted. Yay! Um, one son, Bailey, who hasn't... Uh, the first time 
the vote. So Excellent. he and my other son, Travis, we all went and, and, and did our American duty. How many times? Well, I got to vote twice because of, right. yeah, yeah. they listened to me. At least <laughs> I, that's what they say. I don't know. We went over the ballot and everything. And it's kind of, it's not confusing, but, you know, if you don't, haven't done it before, mm-hmm. you know, trying to explain what you got to check in and what you don't and whatever. It's pretty simple, but it can be a little intimidating, I think, going on. But everybody was happy and, you know, they were excited that he was... Uh, there to vote. So it's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. The, early participation. Yes. It's, it's so important. Mm-hmm. So Melanie, what's going on in the LGBTQ news this Whew. week? Well, uh, we'll start off uh, with the T for me. Um, uh, this memo that you may or may not have heard about uh, issued by HHS and uh, uh, it's, it's specifically trying to uh, direct the federal government uh, to dictates uh, what sex you are at birth depending on your genitals at birth and if there is some dispute there then going to a genetic quote-unquote genetic test the uh, the memo is um, very disconcerting for a lot of people it would uh, withdraw a lot of the protections that we have started to enjoy over the past few years uh, under title nine and um, and it's incredibly worrying uh, to so many people um, mostly though I'm really worried about the young ones who have kind of grown up and come out in the last five or so years where uh, they have been able to feel comfortable mm-hmm. and um, you know it, checking on Instagram uh, my daughter's friends uh some of them have started to express a lot of anxiety or just absolute fear about what the future brings because they don't know. Right. And, uh, and that chaos in their life is, um, it, it, it's angering me (laughs) a bit Mm -hmm. and a lot of other people. And then you have people who are saying, listen, hold off. This is, this is a memo. This is, uh, even if this was enacted, um, we've been here before. Right. We can survive it. Or saying, you know, just don't worry about it. It's it, it's posturing for the election. And, uh, you know, once it's done, everything will go back to quote-unquote normal. And we've seen it happen within yeah. his this mm-hmm. government mm-hmm. where they'll say stuff, scare everybody, get everybody going, get, you know, his, his camp, his, you know, uh, well, I'm loss of words, his group of people. Right. <laughs> his, mob, his mob. His right. mob going. Um, and so, uh, you know. Uh, you know, but you don't. You can't trust anything you, that comes out of that. White you can't house. trust it, and really, we're we're just beginning to you know cling on to basic rights. You know, uh, for for housing and for uh, education is a is a big part of it. Um, these were a lot of recommendations that were uh, geared toward incorporating uh, trans kids into school, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's it's trans and intersex people. Mm-hmm. And the science behind it is not there. This is not something you can actually implement right. because, uh, as we've discussed on the show before, it, <laughs> there's no such thing as the binary. Right. And to seek to try to, and, and this memo also mentions scientifically uh, uh, establish male and female. That there's no Done such thing by the focus on the family. Right. I mean, right. That's usually who's. Yeah, running this kind of stuff. The Dobsons and right. such. 
Right. So, so what do you so as as a parent and you know somebody that's active in the community with the younger generation, what do you do to? I know, I know you're angry, but what do you do to kind of calm the kids down? To you know, how do you let them know that we're here for them? Let them know that there is a history of this, and this is not something that we haven't seen before. It's not erasure. Actually, you know they're they're still going to be here, right? And we will still love and care for them. And, and here's the good will, news. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. The good news is that it is uh, something that's been heavily talked about. You know, it's in the media that it's not something that you know five, ten, six years ago it you know or as we approached it, so it wasn't part of you know dialogue that you heard right. on the news and stuff. So a lot of people that weren't familiar with transgenders um, now know and have had hard conversations and agree or disagree, but it's it's out there. So the good news is as we move forward and if it gets a little kind of yucky, um, that I think the base for that part of the community will be much stronger. And, and it is. There are so many more people out there. There's such a larger group of people who understands us, who accepts us, who, who gets it. Right. And... Um, and and so it's not this, uh, you know, back when Barney Frank tossed yeah, us under right. the bus, it was yeah. it w- was pretty difficult, and people just didn't really even care. Well, even with the now, gay community, yeah. now, having the tea there made a lot of people mad. Right. And I think again, as we approach and people become a little more educated and understand and meet more people, um, that the tea doesn't become, uh, you know, something that's unfamiliar or something that they don't want part of. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Every it, it, we're we're coming together as a country, right? Within the community and within the greater community of the United States, it, it, history is on our side. You know, history is is with us. We are going to keep moving forward. Right. Um, uh, but it caused so much anxiety, of course, and and that hurt that people feel, the historical hurt. You know that they're pulling in from, you know, where we came from 10, 15 years right. ago. Um. <laughs> do we have to struggle again right. all these questions it probably won't be that bad however we also can't you can't pretend it's not you know, going we have to, to yeah we bad. have to attack it now and uh and punch it down i guess like right. dough mm-hmm. well we'll be keeping a tab on that and um here at blooming now and uh you know just following this story along and and mm-hmm. hopefully uh it will die and uh we won't have to Right. Go there, but <laughs> Kevin, what's going on in your side of the news world? All right. So, anti-gay lawyer Eric Dryban was confirmed as the head of the United States Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. The Human Rights Campaign called the confirmation of Eric Dryban quote a threat to the rights and safety of LGBTQ people unquote. The confirmation took place Thursday, October 11th. This coming. This coming about a week after the controversial confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Dryban's role in the DOJ's Civil Rights Division is to oversee and enforce the nation's civil rights laws, in particular laws that ban discrimination on the basis of race, gender, sexual orientation, disability, and religion. The Civil Rights Division often oversees disputes relating to the Voting Rights Act. Such rules are designed to keep people of color away from the polls. During Dryben's confirmation hearing, the responses he gave to senators show that he will likely hold a very narrow view as to what constitutes a civil rights violation. LGBTI group, rights groups, in particular, worry about Dryben's confirmation. For, exist, 
For instance, in 2016, Dryburn represented the University of North Carolina when the state was sued by the Justice Department for restricting cha- trans people's access to public bathrooms. When asked by senators during his confirmation about his stance on protections for LGBTQ plus people or students, Dryburn declined to comment. He cited it being an ongoing litigation matter as the reason. Moreover, Dryban has worked for nonprofit organizations seeking religious exemptions from the Affordable Care Act, specifically for their right to deny contraceptive coverage for their employees. Quote, it is a sad day for the Civil Rights Division, and yet another example of how the, just, of how the Department of Justice is no longer in the business of doing justice, unquote, said Sharon McGowan, Lambda Legal's Chief Strategy Officer and Legal Director. So... Uh, this guy is not good. No. Mm. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's a, another one of these. H- is this something that you followed at all? I thought this would might be something that you... Um, no, I honestly, I had not heard um, about him until reading this uh, script. But it is interesting um, that some of these things like this go under the radar. Um and that's the way the Trump administration. Yeah, and it, it hasn't got that much news. No, yeah. And, I mean, this is this is kind of big news. Mm-hmm. This is like it is big news. And, and one of the things that is so concerning is that um, Jeff Sessions and others that are in the DOJ, um, the DOJ for the longest time has been used as a way to hold states accountable for discrimination, whether it's mm-hmm. by race or gender or sex or whatever it may be. Um, and that is not happening anymore. They're turning a blind eye to it. And it's just shown by the fact that they, they think that the victims are, are not the people who are being discriminated against, but the people that are conducting the discrimination and being right. told that they cannot do it. So uh, it's, it's concerning to see this, this sort of uh, flip-flop on that. And if there's one position that's the most important um, in terms of LGBTQ rights or one area of the federal government uh it's the department of justice right and then we have uh, the devil leading the pack more mm-hmm. or less mm-hmm. and it'll again this is something that the gbltq community um needs to be well well aware of and you know keep an, a tab on what's going on because you know this is when ugly starts um, and people like to think, yeah, you know, this isn't a big deal, but this is again, you know, a huge deal, and you know, the, the, somebody has to call this accountable because it just goes back to Trump's base of it's okay to s- discriminate, it's okay to be mm-hmm. hateful, it's okay to hurt people. You know, it's I don't see it, don't hear it. You know, <coughs> right. it's just again. Well, well, also to sort of expand on that, I think it also sort of like points towards the Trump administration's overall stance towards sort of administrative deconstruction like mm-hmm. the the idea that you know the best way to sort of run a government is to basically like make sure the doors you know the offices don't shut down but like cut labor costs and stuff it's like we we can save a ton of money on the department of justice if we just don't litigate right, right, right. <laughs> it's just well awful. and and also like you know department of education you actually taking down these mm-hmm. these uh departments be- by putting people in who are just absolutely not qualified to run or are anti mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Well, that that's what I was going to say was I don't think it, it's not money that's driving it that 
they don't care about money. Money's not an object right. in this. It's people, it's them not believing in the government and what the government and what these uh, what these areas of the federal government are supposed to be doing and their duties that they're supposed to be carrying out. You look at the EPA, you look at the mm-hmm. uh, Co- Consumer Protection Bureau that they just demolished. You look at now the Civil Rights Commission and the DOJ and what and, and even other uh, Republicans who have who have held the White House have not acted in ways that completely undermine the institutions that they're supposed to be operating in. What you see from the Trump administration is them putting people in power who don't believe in the organizations that they're running, who would rather see them totally torn down, but they don't have the political capital to do so. So what what do they do? They put people in there that are are just stonewallers and they well, don't do anything. And and this is like it's not coming from you know, the president. This is something that's been a concerted effort since the 70s with the religious, it's the moral Mike majority, reli- religious right, those people, yeah. And I say those people. Um, but <laughs> I can point to one person, and it's Mike. This is Mike oh, No, Pence, no yeah. honey, this has been around since Mike Pence uh, before he was in... Uh, yeah, but I'm saying who's calling the shot? Oh, these, discrimi- for, these discriminatory that, things, yeah, these are no, Mike Pence. He, uh, Trump is Trump is just the rubber stamp guy. Yes. And, yeah, and they love I mean. him. But, um, you know, this has been on the radar forever. We've been hearing about this forever. Mm-hmm. And now it's all coming together at once and dropping on us. And you know, I really thought that I was over homework when I graduated. Um, but you know, we have to do so much. We have to stay on top of this stuff. Mm-hmm. We right. can't just let it slide. Yes, no, it's on. So Alex, what do you have on your side? So I'm asking, why does the Trump administration want a ruling on a gay case before a trans case? A brief filed by the Department of Justice asked Supreme, the Supreme Court to ignore a transgender discrimination case until after it decided two other gay discrimination co- cases. Now, her former boss is appealing to the Supreme Court, Jeff Sessions, Department of Justice just recently filed a brief in the case. Unsurprisingly, the Department of Justice argued that the federal law only prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex assigned at birth, something we've already been discussing, not discrimination based on stereotypes associated with sex at birth, something we often refer to as gender. Since Stevens was fired, or since Evans was assigned as a male at birth and she wasn't fired for being male, the Department of Justice argues that this wasn't sex discrimination, a long-standing opinion of the Trump administration. The brief, though it does not ask the Supreme Court to take up Stevens' case and rule against her, instead says that the court should rule on two gay rights cases first. The brief made it clear that the Department of Justice believes that discrimination against transgender workers is perfectly legal. The first case, uh, Zarda v. I forget his company's name, to be honest, something we discussed a while ago. A man was fired from his job as a skydiving instructor when he came out to a client. The Second Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Title VII's ban on sex discrimination also prohibits discrimination against gay people because discriminating against a man for not being attracted to a woman is based on discrimination of a gender stereotype. 
The second case, the Bostock case, involves a gay man who was fired from his government job in Georgia when his boss found out he was gay. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals refused to hear this case. Lawyers in both cases have petitioned the Supreme Court to review them, but the court has delayed hearing the cases, possibly wanting to have Brett Kavanaugh confirmed to ensure a 5-4 conservative majority. So why does the Department of Justice want to look at the Zarda and Bostock cases before Stevens? In the brief, the Department of Justice argues that there is more conflict in the courts about the question of sexual orientation uh, in federal anti-discrimination law. More likely, though, the, dis- the Trump administration believes that it has a better chance of winning in a gay case than in a transgender case. If they can win the gay case first, then they can ask the Supreme Court to apply the same reasoning to the transgender case, uh, Stevens, in this instance. Perhaps they don't think they'll win the transgender case right now. They might be right. Courts have been long held it that discrimination based on gender stereotypes is in fact a form of sex discrimination. The Department of Justice wants the Supreme Court to rule that some gender stereotypes can be applied to workers, specifically those relating to LGBTQ people. In other words, the Department of Justice may believe it is easier to convince the court that discriminating against gay people has nothing to do with sex than discriminating against transgender people has anything to do with sex. (laughs) Uh, As the Department of Health and Human Services memo showed last week, the Trump administration does not believe that sex discrimination includes discrimination against transgender people. And this kind of lit a fire under my butt. (laughs) Um, I was traveling uh, over the weekend when all this sort of news came out, and I'm I'm like, I know I'm going to be talking about this on (laughs) Thursday. (laughs) Um, To be completely honest, I think this is sort of, to put it best, crouched in ignorance. Um, Mm -hmm. The... I mean, the biggest thing is, is that even when you look at, like, the most recent literature from basically, like, all, almost all international psychological bodies, uh, groups like the American Psychological Association, uh, the most recent uh, revision to the DSM, which I believe uh, went from the DSM-5 to the, like, IDEM-6, which is the international... Uh, standards for uh, diagnosing and understanding mental health illnesses basically are all saying like being transgender isn't a mental illness. Mm -hmm. Being transgender and particularly transitioning is a part of treatment. It is specifically an issue of gender dysphoria. And this is something that sort of you know, as I said, it, it riles me up because they're like well, the science says this, and it's like, really? Um, have you read the most recent stuff? I mean, like, at least over the past uh, eight, nine, ten years, it really seems that this is what is becoming sort of the agreed-upon, settled discussion with regards to mental health, gender dysphoria, and possible treatments. They aren't saying that everyone who has gender dysphoria, body dysphoria, or anything like that immediately seek these sort of um, more potentially invasive, quote-unquote, 
treatments, but they are things to consider along with therapy, you know, working with social groups, working with your community, all these different things. Because as we're starting to sort of realize a lot of these anxieties, a lot of these issues faced by trans folks is part and parcel of sort of the sense of being othered. The fact that, okay, you guys can have these rights, but not these. Mm -hmm. And that kind of puts people into limbo. And I mean, I I feel like I shouldn't talk anymore because I know Melody has something to say because she has that look in her face. (laughs) I always have that look in my face. Actually, on this this specific case, this this just illustrates the importance of having non-discrimination uh, for LGBT folk codified. We need laws saying that you can't discriminate based on, because if we base it on loosely uh, ruled uh, you know, pieces, then we're, we're never going to get there. People are going to be arguing back and forth forever. But if you put into it, cannot discriminate based on, uh, on sexual orientation gen- or actual perceived gender identity or presentation, that's it. You can't go in and say, well, maybe it's not, or we don't believe it covers that because you're you're not basing it on a secondary thing. Wow. Heavy stuff. Um, again, this will be one that we'll be watching very closely. We ran a little long on this one, so it's time for us to take a music break. Uh, please don't touch your dial. We'll be right back with more Blooming Out.
Currently listening to Tenderness by Laura Gibson off of her album Goners. Um, we're going to go ahead and look at the community calendar real fast before we go back to booming out. Um, this week on October 27th, we have the Breast Cancer Awareness Walk at City Hall. Um, and this is a registration starting at 8.30 a.m., the walk will take place in front of the Bloomington City Hall in Showers Plaza. Um, starts at 9 a.m. with followed by a one-mile walk. And then later this week we have... Looks like... Uh, it's lots of stuff. We have Mother Hubbard's Cupboard 5th Annual Food Day at the Cupboard. Um, and that's from 2 to 5 p.m. on Saturday. They will be making pies together. Right now we're going to throw it back over to Booming Out. Welcome back and welcome to Jeffrey M. Roth, Vice President and Chief Development Officer from the Damien Center. And I want to apologize to you for uh, going over in that earlier segment. So welcome. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. We just had a lot of news, and <laughs> you're part of it. <laughs> so, Jeffrey, um, welcome back. You've you've been, I guess it's been a couple months since we've got to talk to you from the Damien Center. Yeah. And um, you wanted to come on tonight, and we're going to talk a little bit about AIDS history. I think uh-huh. AIDS month is December, right? So just kind of, you know, fanfare it almost <laughs> as we're getting up there. But, um, you know, I guess I'll just kind of throw it back to you as far as, you know, what... what uh, what we can kind of talk about with uh, HIV, HIV AIDS. Yeah, I think it's important, you know, just uh, to talk about where where we have come from as far as the history of HIV, because to really appreciate what we've done in the last 30 to 40 years, to hear what happened in the early 80s and even a little bit before, you know, it doesn't seem like a long time, but there's a lot of things that have happened in that time period. So to really get back down to basics and learn about what happened at the beginning and see all the steps that we've taken um, helps us, I think, all really appreciate um, the fight to end HIV and really to help people affected by it. So um, tell us a little bit about, like, Damien Center and where you guys kind of fit into this whole history part of it. Yeah, so the Damien Center was founded in 1987, and we were actually probably a little bit behind the curve when it comes to uh, founding because... HIV was officially um, recognized in 1981 was the first time they had started to notice issues with people having compromised immune systems. And at the time, people were mainly having um, very severe forms of pneumonia and then also Carposi sarcoma, which is a type of a skin lesion, cancerous skin lesion. And as more people develop these symptoms, they realized that there was something going on and they tracked it to what they considered to be a more high-risk population. So you hear a lot back in the day that primarily who we were working with were homosexual men, so people who were having sex with other men, 
um, people from minority um, populations, especially people from Haiti, um, people who were hemophiliacs, and also people who were using injection drugs. So they felt like, for whatever reason, and they didn't know at the time, that these people were more susceptible, and it, it wasn't really an explanation. So there was a lot of stigma at the time about what it meant to be a homosexual, what it meant to be a, um, a heroin user, or even being from just a specific place in the world. And so there was um, a lot of fear and a lot of, um, I don't want to say hatred, but a lot of disgust at what was going on because these people had issues that, you know, they really couldn't control, but nobody really knew what was going on. So it started, people started looking into it. They started recognizing that there were patterns. They started seeing that it wasn't necessarily one group of people because they started noticing it then in heterosexual men um, and other populations, people who were living across the country, who were living around the world. And what that did was really start showing that HIV um, was affecting everybody. And I think, you know, again, the Damien Center from 1981 when HIV was first discovered to 1987, there was a lot of progress made, but at the same time, there was a lot of work that still needed to be done. And, and Damien Center was founded by a, a religious sect, right? Is that true? Or a f- priest? Or f- um, or a... So it was founded by um, Earl Connor, who was an Episcopal minister okay, at the time. Minister, okay. He had actually been working with the LGBT community and those who were affected with HIV in Indianapolis at the time, and he really saw that there was a need for support in, in Indianapolis. Around the country, there were HIV organizations that were popping up. Pe- people were opening centers that were uh, helping people in a variety of ways, but there was really nothing in Indianapolis that was cohesive and really um, uh, working just for HIV. So he took it upon himself to work with some community leaders to found the Damien Center. And that was really controversial at that time. I remember, you know, being a young child and my father being up in Indianapolis and, uh, you know, and just a lot of, you know, gay bashing that was going on at mm-hmm. that time. Um, I remember, you know, my dad coming home and telling a story about, um, you know, officers arresting these transgender individuals. They can call them transgender back then. Yeah. Transvestites, I think they were, you know, for there was a law passed or something, you know, in Indianapolis that you couldn't dress in costume outside of Halloween, especially right. and stuff. So, you know, for them to open something like this, um, I'm sure it wasn't, you know, it was not out and about in, in the sense it was still kind of on the down low or was was he kind of pushing it pretty loud and. And, and, and making, you know, and, and educating people. I just can't imagine, you know, what was going on back then. And, and how. Yeah, you know, I think uh, 1987, even though it had only been about six or seven years since the first case of HIV had, was recognized, there was still a lot that had gone on. So within those six or seven years, they a lot of people had come out and, and said that they were either HIV positive. Um, you know, Rock Hudson passed away in 1985, and he was um, openly HIV positive, so there was a little bit of already. Oh, this can this can right. happen to anybody, even somebody who's famous like Rock Hudson. And also at the same time, that was the year Ryan White was um, ostracized from his school. So there was still a lot of stigma. I think there were a lot of issues um, just with people's misunderstanding about, first of all, what it meant to be homosexual, and also what it meant to be transgender or maybe a little different um, people who were still on the down low. Um, but also, there was still a misunderstanding of what HIV was. We didn't know a lot about it. 
they had a better understanding of what it was. They never, they no longer thought it was just gay men that could get it, but they realized that everybody could get it. And they knew it was a virus at the time. But what that meant, how they were going to treat it, they weren't really sure. But people like Earl Connor really knew that they needed to find a way to help people with what they needed right away. And sometimes that was health care. Sometimes that was just mental health support. Maybe it was just a place to go to feel safe. So that's really where the Damien Center and a lot of other organizations came to be. Right. So um, do you know what the numbers were back then? I mean, what was Indianapolis, were, was it hard, you know, hit hard at this point? Or I don't be- know specifically about Indianapolis. Um, I can tell you that uh, within the first few years, by, by about 1984, 1985, there were about 3,000 cases known within the United States of AIDS specifically. And of those cases, nearly half of them had passed away. So within the first couple of years, there were a couple thousand of people, but obviously that really, really exploded. So within, um, I want to say within the first 15 years in 1996, about 40,000 people had passed away from HIV. So it was exponentially growing over time, but at the same time, we were exponentially understanding it more and finding new ways to treat it. Right. So where is the Damien Center today, as far as, you know, I'm sure it's, uh, you know, night and day between, obviously, from the, the beginnings to where we are now and what we know and, and how we're, we're helping individuals. And I guess at the same time, I, you might have heard some of the news stories of what's going on with the administration attacking a lot of LGBT um, folks and, um, and, and how this might actually even affect um, services that... Uh, you know, that the, the Damien Center gets from the federal government at, at this point. Yeah. Is, is that something you guys are worried about? I don't know if we're necessarily worried about it. We're conscious of it. I think, you know, this is a health care situation. It's not, it's no longer a social thing. You know, back in the day, it was, you know, it was socially wrong to be HIV positive. Now it's more of a chronic health illness. That, that's how we look at it more. Um, it's hard to compare it, but a lot of people say it's almost having like diabetes where you have to be on a regimen, where you have to check yourself, where you have to be healthy. Um, and it's the same way now. You have to live healthy. You have to take your medicine. You have to check in with your doctor. You have to be regular with your appointments. Um, so it's it's changing the way we think about things. You know, 20 years ago, we just hired a new executive director, and he worked for the Damien Center in the late 90s. And now he's back, and he tells the story of when he worked there in the late 90s, they were having funerals for clients every couple of days, every couple of weeks. And now we see our clients are living longer and healthier lives. They're living into their 60s and 70s, which we never thought was possible. Mm-hmm. So I think that has a lot to do with how, number one, the community looks at it, but also how the government who funds a lot of our programs looks at it too. And I think, you know, with the current administration, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I know there's been a lot of talk, but for the past few years, the funding for HIV has either remain consistent or grown a little bit. So there is that threat, and I think there's a threat for a lot of programs, but I I personally feel like we're going to be okay, but we have to plan at the same time for what is going to happen just in case. And so that's why, you know, in my position as the person in charge of fundraising, I'm always looking for people to support us because I want to make sure that if funding does go away, we have that backup plan. And I think we're going to be okay. but I always like to err on the safe side. Definitely. So what are some of the things that you guys are fundraising right now about? Well, we just had Grand Masquerade last weekend, which was an amazing success. You know, uh, I Ross missed Nash, it again. 
I'm sorry? I said I missed that one again. Oh, was, too bad. Yeah. It was great, great, great. We'll have pictures up in a few okay, days, and you can see. Um, but it was an amazing time. I think it was a great opportunity for people to get together and, and really celebrate where we are today um, and what we can do to continue fighting. You know, as we look toward the future, we're always looking for, you know, the gaming center, this is for us specifically, um, we always have people coming in and, and working with us on our food pantry, bringing in food items. We do a lot of toiletries. We do a lot of um, smaller fundraisers that we or we partner with community members with because we do feel like this is no longer a cause that can be one one organization at a time. You know, one organization can't do one thing, another organization can't do another thing. We really have to partner. So we're looking for other organizations around Indianapolis and, and central Indiana that we can work with to really go a little bit farther. So we're looking for ways that we can go out to the community, how we can talk to people, how we can educate, how we can get people tested, how we can get people on prep. I mean, there's so many different ways, and it really just depends on the person. So if you're interested in one thing, whether it's prep or just testing, we're willing to work with you on that. If you are HIV positive and need a place to go for health services, we'll help you with that as well. That's great. So if someone wants to get in contact with you guys, what's the best way? Yeah, so the easiest way would just be give us a phone call. Our phone number is 317-632-0123. Or, of course, you're, you're able to go online to uh, Damien.org, which is our website. Mm-hmm. whole list of resources there for if you are HIV positive or are at risk for HIV. Um, we're willing to work with pretty much everyone. We, we have the one-stop shop model where we work through prevention to care coordination to health services to food pantry, all sorts of different things, and you can find all that information online. Okay, and we'll also put that up on our website. So Great. people can, after the show, uh, look us up and uh, definitely find you. Again, I'm uh, sorry we, we ran long. We had a lot of news stories that uh, okay. just kind of <laughs> took over. A couple days in the news. Yeah, it was insane. So we really appreciate you coming on and look forward to having yourself or someone else from the Damien Center uh, talking about more of the great things that you guys are doing and what the community in large can do to support the Damien Center. So Always happy to join you. Well, thank you, thank you. So it's time for us to take another music break and we'll be right back to blooming out here comes the end of the future
You are listening to Laura Gibson. Welcome back to Blooming Out. We are welcoming Kim Naseth, a BA housing case manager at Community Health IU Bloomington Hospital. Kim is a housing case manager at Positive Link. She works with multiple groups of people, some living with HIV, some without, that have barriers to housing. Kim helps her clients maintain stability in housing as well as access to income and mental health services. Kim, you've been working in this year or in this field for four years. Yes, it, I have. It says right here that you love it. I do love it. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> I'm really tired when I come home, but I love it quite a bit. It's um, a great place to work, and I really like everyone that I work with, and mm-hmm. it's a really great job. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about, you know, Kim and what she does and, you know, at Positive Link. And yeah. So, um, oh, and thank you for having me, yeah, well, by the way. Yeah, um, it's great having you. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to be here. So, yeah, I provide housing case management to um, different folks. Some some people, yeah, living with HIV, some people without. Um, we have several housing programs, um, and there are just so many barriers to housing. Um, poverty, obviously. um and just trying to work with people to um, become housed so that um, they can access other resources because um, providing housing can often be the first step to allow people to make other changes in their lives toward um, healthier, excuse me, healthier outcomes for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the, um, there are just so many obstacles that people face as they try to become healthy, like. The CDC announced last year, um, I, I think it's been talked about on the show before, U, U equals U, um, undetectable equals untransmittable, which is where the goal is um, to have your, if you are living with HIV, um, to have the virus so suppressed that it is not detected on a blood test. So it's just a very tiny amount um, in your body um, where it's not um spreading to other people and it's also just not making you feel sick um but it can be really challenging to actually get to that point so a lot of the work that we do at positive like is just trying to help people right get there so if you're um financially uh, disadvantaged i guess mm-hmm. and you can't afford 
housing and you can't, you know, have a car to get back and forth and, you know, insurance to make right. sure that. You, so these are the folks that you're really focusing in on, right? Yeah. Yeah. So frequently we just see people um, who really um, don't don't know how to navigate the insurance world. It is wildly complicated. Um, I was just trained to, I was talking about the flu shot with my boyfriend the other day and I can't even figure out his insurance plan. Um, so I, the obstacles for people who are seeking more than a flu shot, mm-hmm. I and don't have insurance even. Um, they need assistance trying to access these services. So we um, work to make sure they get insurance and there are special programs for people living with HIV to assist with medication costs. Um, but it's also working with people since um, so many of the communities um, living of people living with HIV have um, experienced such discrimination in the past. Mm-hmm. We also just try to make sure that we have um, a really welcoming and inclusive environment to the people that we serve because we want people to feel safe and that um, they can be trusted when they're working with or that they can trust us when we're working with right. them. And, and they stay on your case low, I mean, forever pretty much? I mean, or... Yeah, um, some of our programs are kind of transitional mm-hmm. housing or short-term assistance. So some clients I might just meet with um, and do like an application for like a month's um, worth of assistance. Um, but then there are clients that I've worked with for several years and I have um, more developed relationships with. And I know that people who've worked at Positive Link much longer than I have have clients that they've worked with for mm-hmm. much longer. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, a day-to-day kind of story and and what you see and what you deal with when you... Yeah, it, it kind of depends on the day. Like I might have a plan to... I might be a little behind on case notes and so I might say, okay, today I'm just going to camp out at my desk with my coffee and get these notes done. And then I'll get a call, like ask someone asking to go to the emergency room because they have a really bad cough. Um, And we obviously are going to take that seriously. So um, I'll staff it with my coworkers and we'll see who is available to assist with the transportation of getting that client to the emergency room so that they can access the services to determine like if they need extra medication just to make sure that everything is treated appropriately. And and you go in and advocate for the client as well. Yeah, absolutely because I mean some people don't need me to advocate they advocate they can tell the doctors like this is what's wrong with me but other clients are just don't are very afraid of doctors which I can totally understand like I'm afraid right. of doctors <laughs> right. too sometimes right. so um yeah it's it'll just be my job to kind of remind clients like you're not feeling well and it's fine to tell us why like you're suffering and that's why we're here right um, is is the medical side for them to be able to uh, are they having difficulty communicating with the physicians or the medical people because they were you know discriminated before you, you are they just don't you know what, what what's kind of some of the main things um, that happen when I think that it can be a wide variety of a wide variety of things like um and the doctors that I see like um I you and really happy always with the interactions which I'm really thankful for um 
But some like clients can just be um, afraid, like they just don't know how, how to articulate their pain and what's wrong. And we're never um, like kind of taught how. And I feel like in our country, like there are certain, um, I, I don't know, there are just certain ways um, that it like poverty, I think, can make it more challenging for people to feel comfortable speaking up about their experiences because they just have really been struggling for so long that mm -hmm. and nothing has changed so they're not sure have you seen the dynamics of the client i know with you know we've talked about this before on the show with our homeless population and the opiate you know issue um have you seen more you know i guess ch changes within the clients here in bloomington um or is it um, I, the clients that I've worked with for a long time, um, I haven't, like, I, um, I haven't really noticed, uh, like, I, things have, I, I don't, I don't know how to answer that, I guess, um, like, to me, um, our community that I think the needle exchange has been beneficial, um, because people are able to access, um, the resources that they need more safely but as far as people that I work with um I guess we I, I don't know it's I guess it's just a hard question for me to to answer but. so you haven't seen you know I, I know we've kind of had a, an explosion here and in, in Bloomington over the past couple of years um with a a, 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 pom a homeless population and yeah and I guess um per, for me particularly I um I guess if I ever, um, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen it personally, okay, I guess. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I was just, you know, um, so as far as what, what kind of things can people do to, to help your side of the program? I mean, what are you looking for on the community side? Um, Oh, that's a great question. So with the holidays coming up, we do have a gift-giving program called Gifts of Grace that um, allows for people um, to, yeah, give gifts to people um, living with HIV, like just Christmas presents, holiday gifts to um, our clients and their families, um, and um, food as well. We're always accepting food donations, and um, I know that um, high schools in the area and um, different um, organizations will do um, food drives to donate to us so that we can give out food baskets um, during the holidays as well. Um, we also have a, our yearly AIDS walk that happens in April, and that's a big fundraiser for us. Um, CAG Community AIDS Action Group puts that on. And um, then we also have um, our ceremony for World AIDS Day, and that's happening on Thursday, November 29th at um, Fountain Square Mall. Um, the hors d'oeuvres are happening at 5.30 and the ceremony happens at 6 and it's a day of um, remembrance. World AIDS Day itself is actually on December 1st, but we usually do it just a little earlier. Okay. So, um, is this, are you guys, you know, your department, I don't know if that's uh, the, the correct terminology, <laughs> um, you're, you're funded and, you know, is this kind of a year-round thing that you you need help um, yeah. from the community. Yeah, we will never turn away <laughs> assistance. Um, there's always stuff that our clients need that we sometimes have to brainstorm, 
to try to figure out ways to get it for them. So, um, are, I mean, would you want people to drop clothes and stuff off at, or would you prefer for them to call and uh, um, ask what you, they could do? Yeah, I think phone calls would be great. Actually, our phone number, our um, general phone number, it's um, 812-353-9150. Um, and yeah, if anyone has questions about donations, we would definitely welcome your call and be extremely grateful right. and, and and can people actually come in and, and volunteer help with you know filing and or you know just manual stuff that you might need within the office or are you looking more for um um i think just more like general donations okay. and maybe um we are always accepting um typically volunteers for the aids walk um like specific events um we often um, welcome volunteers for yeah okay awesome well thank you so much Kim for coming in and sorry we our time got a little short again. no problem we, had, we keep saying we had a lot of news but yeah there was a lot of news absolutely it's and, been a not great week yeah um, so hopefully we'll have a, a much better week um, and thanks to, to Jeffrey again at the Damien Center for his time and coming in on, on Blooming Out an additional thank you to all our listeners and volunteers who make this possible Thank you from Alex Ashkin. <laughs> this is Melanie Davis. Blooming Out is produced by Frankie Presloff. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Lucas Fisher is our engineer. Blooming Out's community liaison is Alex Ashkin. And our trust... Our <laughs> trust Phil Wynn, Justin Robinson, feels the need to go to England. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't I'm going to blame that on our there. interns there. <laughs> um, and our interns are Jasper Tony, Ireland Meacham, and Wen Yen. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Kevin Mosenzade. And I'm Frankie Presleff. Remember, if everything was straight, roller coasters would be one long, boring ride. Good night from your Blooming Out family. You've been listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. Blooming Out is a product of WFHB's News and Public Affairs Department. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. for Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs program. You can hear this and other programs online at WFHB.org. Comments and suggestions for future topics or guests can be sent to bloomingout at WFHB.org. That is blooming O-U-T at W-F-H-B dot O-R-G. And thank you for listening. Gotta be tired and I gotta remember this is what I'm about. Gotta stand up and I gotta be proud and I gotta remember this is what I'm about.